This is The Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to The Jason Jones Show. I am your host, Jason Jones, broadcasting from the windy city of Chicago. Actually, the suburb called Schaumburg. I'm at the Law of Life Summit. And as we continue on with our 49 days in a row or so, because, you know, we're missing a day here or there, especially with me traveling, um, this is the place to find guests. And so our next guest, our guest today is the wonderful Janet Morana from Priests for Life, her new book, Everything You Need to Know About Abortion for Teens. And that's the title of the book. You would think that someone was mouthing it to me, but I knew it really off the top of my head. And uh, before we get on with the interview, this episode is being brought to you, as always, by Mike Lindell's MyPillow. Go to MyPillow.com. Use the code Jones, and you will get deep discounts on all of Mike Lindell's products. You use the code Jones. He, he, he supports everyone. You could use the code Eric. You could use the code Bannon. My pillow supports all the great shows, but you're going to use the code Jones. So go to mypillow.com, use the code Jones for those discounts. And our other sponsor, the best newspaper in the history of the world. And I know it's true because I said it on Facebook and it was not fact checked. Epic Times. Go to iReadEpoch.com, use the code Jason Jones, and you get a year subscription, a year for $77. And our main sponsor, the Vulnerable People Project. Standing in solidarity with the most vulnerable people in the world during their most challenging times, go to thegreatcampaign.org and stand with us as we stand with them. All right, on with my interview with the great and wonderful Janet Morana on the Jason Jones Show. Aloha, Janet. Welcome to the show. Aloha, Jason. Of course, I have been to Hawaii, so I can tell you how wonderful Hawaii is. You have been to Hawaii. <laughs> yes, I have. But I wasn't there when you went. I know. What a shame. You miss me. I think you planned that. <laughs> maybe yes, I think maybe you were no. checking. When is Jason? <laughs> so Janet Morana, mm-hmm. how many books have you written? Well, this is my third book. My first book was Recall Abortion, published by Tan Publishing. And that book was the concept, Jason, of... Two, two, two ideas here. The word recall abortion. Well, women who've had abortion, as you know, even if they've gone through healing, they still recall the date of the abortion. That's when true. When they had it. Uh, they remember when the baby would have been born. They know that date. Th- these things are recalled in their memory no matter how much healing they've had. But then what I do is in that first book, I make the case, Jason, why? If any product did to women what abortion does, it would be taken off the market. So I build the case of why abortion should be recalled. And that's important because now as we've moved to chemical abortions, it's, yes. it's devastating women. It's Even devastating more. our children in the yes. environment. Yeah. And it's, it's psychologically more devastating than a surgical abortion. Well, good you brought up chemical abortion because chemical abortion is, is the women are more traumatized. Why? They're the abortionists. You see, with a surgical abortion, they could drive by that abortion clinic and blame the doctor. He did it to me. But with the chemical abortion, Jason, they go to Planned Parenthood and they take that first pill themselves. They go home with that little brown paper bag, get home, two days later, they take the second pill. So who's the abortionist? It's them. They're actually committing the act of abortion by taking those two pills Mm. and then their bathroom becomes the abortion clinic because that's where they expel the dead baby. And the stories, Jason, Mm. that we're getting from women. They're actually coming to healing quicker than with surgical abortion. That's what we're finding. To Rachel's Vineyard and to Silent No More. And on our Silent No More website, uh, they can go abortiontestimony.com. We have a search engine there. They can click off RU486 and you could read these stories. Horrible. They're seeing their baby in the toilet. They're no, seeing their arms women and Women have to leave their apartment. They have to move. They can't even stay in the same house Some people, they, that's what they do. They have to live someplace else. They can't stay there any longer. They're so traumatized. And then the other thing is when they see the baby in the toilet, they don't know what to do. Some of them have this reaction. They flush it. And some actually try and scoop it up. And then they're grabbing. Where's a box? Where's a shoebox? Where's something? I have to bury my baby. And they're going into their backyard and burying the baby. It's they're so traumatized by this and the scary. I mean that thing, medical waste. That's medical waste as well. Oh I well, mean, that's what gets me, uh, Jason. Where's the tree huggers? 
They're not worried about the environment? All those babies being flushed? flushed no, there are coffee shops pretending to be tree huggers so they can impress the girls. That's what I believe it all is, really. It's social. It's social. It's branding. Yeah. People do it for the same yeah. re- reason companies do it. They don't take hard stands against really challenging issues that impact people around them because it comes right. at a social cost. And, and the danger thing, as you know, is the Biden administration has now extended through the FDA that they can mail order chemical abortion. So what does this mean, Jason? They don't even have to go see a doctor. They could do a telemed appointment with a doctor and they'll mail them the RU486. And I've been told some people have even getting uh, RU486 from India and and China being mailed here in the United States. This is unbelievable. So by the way, this leads into your new book. What was your second book? The second book was uh, Shockwaves, The Widest Circle of Victims. That was published by Catholic Book Publishing. And that book goes, uh, it shows that at the epicenter of every abortion, of course, is the death of the baby. But the effect reverberates out to the mother, to the father, to the grandparents, to future siblings, to cousins, aunts, uncles, friends. You know, everyone is affected by that one abortion. So that gets to your next book. They kind of build. Right. In a way. Now your new book, Everything a Teenager Needs to Everything You Need to Know About Abortion for Teenagers. Right. And um a lot of these teenagers, I guess, don't know much about abortion until they have a chemical abortion and they see their baby in the toilet. Right. Well the problem here, Jason, is Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry, as you know, are targeting our teenagers. Parents, beware. They're in your schools, high schools. They're on college campuses. Uh, They're allowed in many public schools to come in and speak to your students and and, and give you all that abortion propaganda. So where are the teens going to get the truth? So what I do in everything you need to know about abortion for teens, I start with history. See, because Roe was created on false history all right they did really didn't look back in american history about abortion they had a um a history lawyer guy who worked for NARAL is the history they relied on in roe v wade which is why it has now crumbled finally but i take them back in history and i show them look even in colonial days actually i i found out dason the first mention of abortion was all the way back in 1500 bc in egypt imagine that well, but, it's in the didache yeah the oldest Christian extant document, it forbids abortion. Exactly. And it's in the Hippocratic Oath. What's that, 550 B.C.? Right. So tell me about the oldest. So what was it? What did it say? Well, so in America here, in colonial days, think about the colonists were founded. They came over from England, right? So they brought English law to us. They brought English law to us. And in that case, the, the um, colonies, when I did my research— Majority of the colonies banned abortion 100%. It was only two or three colonies that only allowed abortion until what they called at that time quickening. And so I show the kids the history of our country is against abortion. And the, the, the laugh, like Nancy Pelosi wants to go back to quickening. It's like they want to erase science and send science back 300 years. That's right. That's right. And so in the book, I show them that. I show them the history of Norma McCorvey. Because, uh, and Sandra Kano, not many people can claim this, but I can. Norma McCorvey was my personal friend, the Jane Roe with Roe v. Wade. I can claim it too. Ah, but see, I can go steps further than you, Jason, because she came and visited me and stayed at my house in New York. She stayed at my house too in Wisconsin. Okay. And Let's play this game all day, Janet Morana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's top each other. With that affected accent of yours. Well, guess what? I wanted to take you to I that. also stayed at her home in Dallas. I never did that. That, ah, would, see, that would have gotcha. been inappropriate. Exactly. But I did say, listen, we were, her and I were very good friends. No, and I adored her and I loved her. And the way, by the way, the way you and Father Frank, because I know you are so close to her, and I want to just pause real quick. The way the abortion industry took advantage of her in her moment of greatest vulnerability. Right. And the way the graciousness in which you and Father Frank and so many of other friends just let it slide off your back like a duck with water off a duck's back was beautiful because we loved her. That's right. She was our friend. Exactly. The young, when she was a young girl, she was an instrument that they used. When she was older and vulnerable, and we know she struggled with different issues like what so many of our friends do, and they took advantage of her again in her moment of vulnerability. And in right. both times, we just loved her and said, whatever. That's right. And in fact, as you know, Jason, near the end there, other movies and statements came out saying Norma flipped again and became pro-abortion. Absolutely not true, because guess what? Right before she died... Within an hour of her passing, she asked her daughter, Melissa, to call Father Frank and I. Now, we were in Rome, 
And we happened to be in a cab with Joan Lewis of EWTN. And Norma started talking to us. And she told us she knew death was imminent. She was dying. And she said to me and Father Frank, please, please continue the fight to overturn Roe. So let's tell people who may not know, because I'm assuming everyone knows what the heck we're talking about. Norma McCorvey was used by some filmmakers later in life. She was bipolar and struggled with depression. And she would get mad at us, her friends. She loved us, and she would get mad. She was a broken woman, and we loved her. And and I I, I worked on projects with her, and she would would always feel kind of let down, and she expected a lot, and she struggled. Um, And they recorded her saying that she had used us for money, Right. And she never got, I mean, it's ridiculous, really. Right. Well, I mean, I would uh, take what a woman says on their deathbed as the true statement. As the true statement. What would, would you, you say was going on with that little, that documentarian that shoved a camera in her face and she said? Well, you know, Jason, let's put it this way. And you're a filmmaker and you get this, okay? If I sit someone down and ask you a bunch of questions and I just let the camera roll for about a half hour, 45 minutes or an hour, and you're, you're saying things, well, then later I can cut it up, can't I, and edit it to take out that part and just take this part, right? That's what they but Norma, do. But Norma yeah. would get really upset and emotional, right? And she was a woman that had been through a lot. That's why she was targeted by the abortion industry for the case. Right, exactly. They, they saw that she was a broken woman. Well, first of all, you have to think back, uh, Jason. This case started in 1970, all right? So back in 1970, there was no EPT test where you went to, into the CVS or Walgreens and got a pregnancy test that you took home and did it yourself. Back in those days, you had to go to a doctor conf- to confirm a pregnancy, and most women didn't realize they were pregnant until they skipped two periods. Was that when rabbits still had to die? Yeah, that's when rabbits had to die. Still? <laughs> yeah. Uh, really? <laughs> Yeah. In 1970, rabbits were still dying? Still dying, yeah. Oh, there you have it. Okay. But there were no over-the-counter pregnancy tests, okay? You had to go to a doctor, or in Norma's case, went to a clinic and figured out they were pregnant. So by the time they figured out, quote, quote, I'm pregnant, they were almost at the end of their first trimester. Most of them were at least two months, two and a half months pregnant. So by the time she stumbled onto Sarah Weddington, stumbled onto her, I should say, uh, to have that famous pizza lunch, she was already in her second trimester. Sarah Weddington knew darn well by Norma signing on the dotted line, there was no way she was getting her an abortion before that baby would be due. And that was the truth. Norma went on to give birth to the Roe baby and place that baby up for adoption. In fact, that was her Do we know who that baby is? Does that baby know who she is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's come out recently, oh, the wow. Roe baby. Yeah. What did she come out, and which side? Uh, pretty much saying, you know, pro-abortion, yeah, Yeah, well, you'd expect that. Yeah. Gods of the city are very powerful. That's right. But Norma had three babies, you know. the One of them her mother raised. That's her daughter, Melissa, who had contact uh, with Norma throughout her life, off and on again, so to speak. And uh, the other two were a place for adoption. Uh, so... That's Norma's story. So she never had that abortion. Norma was a cowgirl. Like, she was wild. Oh, yeah. I mean, she was fun. Yeah, she was from Dallas. That's where she was so proud of. And one time when I was staying at her house, she took me shopping for cowboy boots and a cowboy hat, which I still have. (laughs) She said she had to make a a Texan out of me. Yeah. I don't think so. That accent of yours. You know what we can, with that New York accent, we can make a Floridorian out of you. You could live in like, (laughs) you could live on the east coast of Florida with the rest of your people down there. So, um, so in the book, like we started, you know, teenagers, everything you need to know about abortion for teens. I show them the history, then I show them how those cases developed, you know, Roe and Doe. Uh, I talk, talk about Dr. Nathanson and how he and Larry later uh, created the right to abortion. That was their whole goal. Uh, they started out in New York, and then they got to the point where their goal, you know, what it is they were trying to legalize abortion state by state, and then they realized, oh, we, we got to do this quicker. Ends came in mm-hmm, row. Mm-hmm. And Sarah Weddington herself, the, the lawyer that duped Norma, she herself had an agenda because she herself had an abortion in Mexico. When she was in law school, her and her fiancé at that time went to Mexico so she could abort that child. So she had a passion to want to see abortion become legal through all 50 states to help other women so they wouldn't have to go through what she did was an Ill- illegal abortion and she went to Mexico. So it's interesting right now we're talking about what teenagers need to learn. We're not talking about the racism of Planned Parenthood yet. We're not talking about biology. We're just talking about the broad macro history of abortion. I give them the history, uh, Jason, but then after I lay out the history and show how it was all built on lies, then 
I show them what abortion does to the unborn child, meaning I tell them. I tell them about chemical abortions, and I give them the testimonies of doctors and women who've experienced. And then I go into first trimester abortion. I tell them what happens, second and late term. I, I show them that babies are aborted still, even with the, you know, even with the overturning of, of Roe. Uh, babies are still aborted up to nine months here in our country because there's plenty of states that have abortion to, to, through birth now, as you know, New York, California, California, Vermont, Illinois, and the list keeps going. So, you know, so I show them the history. I show them the flaw and the damage. Uh, I even go into uh, the abortion pill and show them about the damage that it can do to women's health. I show them about um, IVF and the problems with IVF, and I show them about selective reduction, shock, shock that happens. So many of these couples that go do IVF, if it's too successful, now they're pregnant with twins or triplets, and what did the doctors recommend? Selective reduction. By the second trimester, they tell these parents um, who now are desperate to have a baby, spend close to ten to sometimes fifteen, twenty thousand dollars for IVF procedures. Now they're gonna say to them, Well, we can reduce that pregnancy, you know. I, I don't think you want triplets or twins. And how do they do that? It's disgusting, Jason. First of all, they tell them which of the babies are boys or girls, and based on the positioning of the baby in the uterus, they'll tell them which ones they could select or reduce. Shocking. You know, um, what's interesting about this young generation, these teenagers who your book is for, first of all, they are pro-lifers like we not. They're something else. Like yeah. I, I look at them, how intelligent they are, how brazen and courageous they are. But then on the other side, there's almost a heartlessness. Oh, yeah, it's a baby. Right. Have you noticed that? They just, yeah, yeah. It, what it is, it's a baby. So it's like they're not living the lie that... They're admitting, yeah, we're killing babies. Oh, yeah. Abortion's killing it. babies. Yeah. You're not going to meet a 17-year-old who's, like, going to play that game. that Oh, it's just a teaspoon of blood with a grain of sand. They no. know. Oh, no, yeah, we're dismembering it's baby. babies. It's a baby. And they'll laugh about it. And then you'll have – and it really cuts across ideological sp- – uh, you'll meet these young right-wingers who are Nietzschean and atheist and radically pro-abortion, and you'll meet leftists who are pro-abortion, but then you'll meet leftists who are radically pro-life. And pro, so it, it really cuts across politics. Um, the young people who are just kind of nihilist and despairing who carry on the pro-abortion argument, right. but the pro-lifers are so beautiful, happy, energetic, full of life. So are you hopeful that this generation is going to kind of march us into a culture of life? Oh, I, absolutely. Absolutely, Jason, because they, they, they will fact check and they want the truth, and that's what I do in the book. I lay out the truth. They can fact check it. It's all there. And the great thing about the book, I, I love my publisher, Tan Publishing, for doing this. In the middle of the book, Jason, is what they call a photo sig. I did an, a, a baby album about uh, 16 pages of the unborn child starting at seven weeks and you see the baby and then under the picture the baby talks to you so the baby says oh look at me at eight weeks um do you know my heart has already beat seven million times and 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 and, oh my heart first started beating when i was only 28 days inside my mommy's tummy Stuff like that. So I do that in the middle of the books. Picture says a thousand words, Jason, so they can't deny it. And I show them that baby in the first, second, and third trimester. So right before that, they heard about how that baby's destroyed. Now they see the baby and say, oh, that's wrong. Look, that, that, that's what they're doing to that baby? Oh, no. That's, that's ridiculous. And then what I finally do is I show them about um, chastity. I show them, you know, this friends with benefits and having, you know, this casual sex, what it can do to their health, STDs and all those diseases that are rampant in our country right now among young people because of all the free love and free sex. I show them that this could destroy their fertility, that when they get a little bit older and they marry, you know, the wonderful person that they're going to spend the rest of their life with and now want a family, they may not be able to get pregnant because of damage done to them because of all this free love and free sex. I just know so many of my friends, I'm 50, so many of my friends were never able to conceive because of damage from the abortion they had when they were young. Oh, yeah, that's true. I can introduce you to women that the only child they were ever able to conceive was the child they aborted. Absolutely. Because of physical damage. So... After I show them the damage from all the free love and free sex, I show them about chastity, the right way to do things. And I have testimonies in there of young teenagers who went down that road of being chased. And I even show them, if you made that mistake and you already had sex, you can take a new promise 
to live chase from this point forward. So it's not all not all is lost. You know what I'm saying? If you if you yeah, sinned yeah. and went down that road, there's forgiveness. Look, if and you're now- born after like 1948, <laughs> how you didn't go down that road at some point is you know. <laughs> Thank your parents. Yeah. You know, because it's challenging. It's, you know, it's uh, Mm -hmm. the culture, the gods of the city are very strong. What's really sad to me, people listen to the show, they hear me talk about this a lot, is have you read the book, The Closing of the American Mind by Alan Bloom? Came out like in late 89, I think. I didn't read it until I was maybe 91, 92, but I think it came out in 89. He died of AIDS. He was a homosexual and he died of AIDS. He was a student of Leo Strauss's political philosopher. And, but he hit, in, in, in his book, The Closing of the American Mind, really talked about how young people today don't know longing, don't know love, don't know passion, don't know, they don't experience eros because of the culture of promiscuity. Right. He said something even that music became cheap, like we could just listen to it on the radio and people don't value music and art and beauty and sex became cheap like music became. It was, it's a very interesting argument. Right. Um, do you see that the young people have just kind of lost they've because of pornography before puberty, because of just the hypersexualization of children, mm-hmm. that they never experience the blossoming of of romantic love and romantic interest right. and sexual desire. It never blossoms. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of dumped on their plate. Well, and that's why in the book I try to show them cases of teens who did wait, yeah. who did experience it the right way, and 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 why that was so good and wholesome. And, and then beautiful. There's one whole chapter, though, Jason, this is what I love, one of the ones I like the best, is where I teach them how to talk about this issue to be on the offensive instead of defense. And in other words, I, I show them, here's questions for you to ask. Here's how you respond. Here's what you say. Because as you know right now, because of the overturning of Roe, abortion is now being talked about. It's being discussed finally. I mean, how many decades, Jason, have we been waiting to get it off the back burner? Well, and put what's it on the great front is, burner? I hear this a lot from my friends. I said, how did you go from being pro-abortion to pro-life? I thought about abortion for the first time. And what do you mean? Yeah, the first time I really thought about it, for 20 years I might have said I was pro-choice. And then the first time, mm-hmm. for one reason or another, I was forced to actually sit down and think about the issue. Right. For any length of time, seriously, I became pro-life. Well, because. So if people are thinking about it. Exactly. They will be pro-life. And that's why this book is so timely. Everything you need to know about abortion for teens, and I always say, and for adults too. Parents, get two copies of the books, one for you to read and one for your teenager. And I say, don't leave home for college without a copy, boy, because, you know, they get to college, Jason. I've had some very sad stories where kids are in a dorm floor. Some of them will all chip in together to help a girl get an abortion. They think they're helping her. And then down the road, they realize what they did. And now they feel guilty. Oh, my God. If I didn't give her that $20 to put towards that abortion, that baby might be alive today. Yeah, when I found out about my high school girlfriend's abortion, I really was kind of taken aback because I hadn't really thought about abortion and wasn't really exposed to it. And I remember that first day in the barracks at Schofield Barracks, like racking my brain trying to piece together everything I ever heard about abortion. Right. They just kind of flitted in and flitted out of my child mind because I was 17 at the time. I remember once Joe Scheidler was protesting in front of a facility in my neighborhood and my dad said, oh, those are those radical anti-abortion people. Didn't, didn't think about it at all. But I remember when I met Joe Scheidler years later, he's a very distinct looking fella. Right. Like, that's the guy that I saw. Oh, my gosh. All those right. years earlier. And I remembered, guys, you might want to turn the radio down for 20 seconds. I remember in high school, guys, I, at the time I thought about this time in high school, guys were passing a hat around. And the so-and-so got his girlfriend pregnant, and he's going to take her to Planned Parenthood. You know what their phone number is? 1-800-UF-EM-WE-PLUCK-EM. Oh. And so that, I thought about, okay, that was for an abortion. Guys, were, and I might have thrown money into that. I was just a freshman who was a senior. Maybe to be cool, I threw in some of my lunch money. I don't remember. But I remember I was like, what are they talking about? I just, you know, and then you just kind of move along. Right. But um, Well, and that's why I think this book is so important, because it will empower these young people to get the facts so that they can't be, you know, 
taken advantage of because we know Planned Parenthood has permeated our school system. So I just want to remind uh, your listeners, Jason, they can get a copy of the book by going to abortionandteens.com. That's well, you have your own website, abortionandteens.com. You yep. buy the book there. Buy the book there. I will personally autograph it for you. Are there group discounts you. Like if you want to get it for oh, a youth yes. group? If a youth group wants to get the book, just send me a message through that website. Not only do I give them a deep discount on the books, but once that youth group has read the book, I will do a free Zoom, meet the author, and dialogue and answer questions. I'm taking that idea from my books. That's genius. What? Just the, the, the groups. Yeah. You, you, what do you want? Do I? Yeah, well, genius. you have Zoom now. Yeah. And you don't have to get on a jet plane, Jason. No, I you know. Could, you could love meet that. the kids via Zoom. I like how Zoom. you call it a jet plane like it's 1960. <laughs> like, what, are we taking a prop plane? <laughs> like... You take one no, of those fancy Pan Am planes with the jets. No, but the, my my passion, Jason, is to educate, educate, educate. Yeah. And so there. Well, you've been doing this for how long? I mean, I met you twenty some years ago. I've been at this for over thirty years with Father Frank Pavone. Wow. Yeah. Fighting to bring an end to abortion. We're not just fighting abortion. We're going to end it. Cool. And, and and the step of overturning. By the way, you know Roe, who's listening right now? Oh. Keith and Becky, they work for Alan Guttmacher Institute. They're interns. They're taking notes. Oh, go ahead. So Take tell them, the tell them, tell them. What do you want to tell them? What do you want to tell Keith and Becky? That's what I, I want call to tell them. them that Alan Guttmacher Institute is based on lies. <laughs> it's based on lies. And they're on the wrong side of history. Wrong side of history. You know, and with. Can they apply it to work for you? Can Keith and Becky leave Alan Guttmacher Institute and come help you out? Only if they convert to be pro-life. Yeah, no, of course. Of course. Keith and Becky, we're waiting hey, listen, for you. Hey, listen, this is what I tell everybody. If Dr. Bernard Nathanson who was responsible for starting this whole abortion industry, as he was said... Was your friend. He was my friend. Yeah. And as he said in his own words, I was responsible for unleashing the abortion uh, monster. And he never recovered. I mean, he was a broken man. He was. He was responsible for even aborting his own child. His own child. Eesh. Yeah, imagine. But yet he converted. He was a Jewish atheist. This is why everyone has hope. Uh, Jason, he was a Jew, Jewish atheist. Then he became a Christian, and then he became a Catholic. He was baptized. You no, know? I met him when he came to Hawaii. Now you keep you keep stuttering at my name like you want to call me another. What name do you keep thinking when you want to say Jason? What do you mean? You notice that Marilis? I caught it. A few Jason. Times. Yeah. Jason. Yeah. Jason. All right. I just noticed you're like. Uh, I mean. No, but with Dr. Nathanson, that shows how anybody. Anybody but most, can be converted. And he Anybody. was an honest guy who actually cared about women. Yeah. And he'd never seen an ultrasound. He was coming from a time when the science, you know, you couldn't see what was going on in there. Right. Yeah. You know, this is something that I have felt a long time. I, about 20 years ago, it dawned on me in front of an abortion clinic in D.C., the old one by the White House. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at the death scorts, and I was looking at, and I, I kind of liked them, you know. I, I was like, I like these people, and they hate me. But I'm looking at them. I think we could be friends, but they'll, I mean, they hate me. <laughs> and yeah. I thought they're really here because they love and care for women. And doctor, but I don't see that anymore in the advocates of abortion. No, no. You notice that? No. Do you remember there was a time there where a I think they really believe? Yes, there was a time, I would what say. What happened? Where was the Where they thought change? they were yeah. truly helping women. Now, now they're just angry and vicious. They're angry, they're vicious, and they're just selling a product. That's what that's. But, what but why is. would be like the, the people that volunteer on a Saturday morning to work his death scorts. I don't see in them any more even thoughtfulness or compassion to women. Well, no. I used to see that. And, no, I, and it, I used to think like, wow, you know, they're looking at me and I used to, I mean, I, I, when I first showed up at abortion clinics, I hated these people. They were monsters. But then as I got to look at the escorts and mm -hmm. I thought, okay, you know, no, they're here because they really want what's best for women and they see us as a menace to women's well-being. Obviously, we see them as a menace to women's well-being, but we're really maybe the most committed people in this town to women's well-being because we're out here nose to nose. Right. Well, if you talk to any abortionists like Father Frank and I have done over the years, what helped them come out of the abortion industry? It was the kindness that they saw from the pro-life movement. That's what helped them. I haven't helped with that at all. And <laughs> No, but like, for example, uh, Dr. Tony Levitino. Yeah, okay? great man. He talks about, first of all, the first shocker for him to stop doing abortion was after the death of, of his own daughter. When she was hit by that car, he rode in the ambulance, and then he, he, like for a week or so, couldn't even go back in to do another abortion. But then the first time he went back in, he just stood there almost paralyzed, like he couldn't complete that abortion. And that's, that was his step one. But what really helped him also, he had a patient, and she came to him every year for her checkup. And she would 
talk to him nicely. She would send him a birthday card on his birthday. She loved him. I understand she loved on him. And it was the kindness, he said, of the pro-life movement. And that's what Dr. Nathanson also said when he came out of the industry, that he felt he could come to us, that we would forgive them, even though they were responsible for so many abortions. We're a movement made up of people responsible for abortions. Our movement is knit together by people who are responsible for abortions. Yeah. And so it's our kindness and love that they, they recognized that the, they would not be condemned, but upon repenting of what they had done, be welcome with open arms. And that's also the message. And I go into this in the book, too, for the kids. Because a lot of those kids have had abortions. Already. Yeah. Well, that's what I show them. I show them about Rachel's Vineyard, the largest uh, abortion recovery program in the world. Rachel's Vineyard, you know, uh, Jason, is now in 76 countries. And the retreat manual has been translated into over 26 different languages. It's amazing. And so what we, our message is always, well, we want you not to have an abortion, but if you've had one, we're still here for you. We want to bring you back to the healing and the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ and get total healing. And in fact, if someone's listening right now and you want to know where is there an abortion recovery program, because I know someone who's hurt, just go to abortionforgiveness.com. Put in your zip code and you will see where the nearest abortion recovery program is to help you. So that message is in my book too. Okay, Jason, because maybe their mother had an abortion. Maybe their aunt had an abortion. Maybe their cousin or a friend or they themselves had an abortion. So you always have to show while we want to stop the killing of the unborn children, we also have compassion for those who made that mistake and we want to bring them back to healing too. So the message is all there about hope and healing. This is a book that every teenager needs. I'm going to put the, the show note, the, that website that you've created in the show notes and encourage people to do uh, that Zoom call with you, which I think is amazing. Yeah, because, see, Jason, I'm a former public school teacher. I'm about education. And so I just don't want the kids just to read the book. I want them to have a level of understanding about the material that's in the book so that they can go out and dialogue with other kids. And what I tell them at the end of the book Jason, and I tell them, I say this on every one of my programs, whether it's on my streaming program, Just Ask Janet, or whether it's on Defending Life on EWTN, this is my closing line. There are some abortions only you can stop, and some lives Ooh, only you can save. That's awesome. And that's, and that's the and challenge. And young people, by the way, I remember when I graduated college, I, I remember thinking, I'm, we were saving so many babies with our pro-life student union at the University of Hawaii. Uh, I remember thinking my last year was seven women students told us they chose life because of our work. Right. And I remembered at the time thinking, I don't want to graduate. When will I ever be able to save babies like this again? Right. You're in a high school, you're in a college, you live in a dorm, you're in a frat house. You're getting to be intimately, you get to know, you talk, you talk. That was the best part about being young is walking and talking till three in the morning, you know, and you build these relationships. So if you hear of a girl in your dorm who's yeah. pregnant and is considering abortion, speak up. Yeah. Just say to her, wait, you don't have to do that. And if you want to know where the pregnancy nearest pregnancy center is to your college or your school, go to pregnancycenters.org, put in your zip code Real, there. She's given us a lot of websites. Are you paying attention? I'm glad we have you here for this. Yeah, because you just put in your zip code, it tells you where the nearest pregnancy center is. So there's no excuse here. See, what no. I'm doing, Jason, taking out the excuses, okay? I'm showing you where to get help, for anyone who's pregnant in need, I'm showing you where to get help if you know someone who's had an abortion to find healing. So that's that's my mission. You're giving them the history. The history. You're giving them the science. Science, yep. And you're showing them where they can receive help or they can help their classmates. Exactly. So again, What have we missed? What else are you giving them? Well, again, go to abortionandteens.com. Did you talk about any of my movies in your book? No, I'm sorry, Jason. Well, those are great resources. They are good resources. Bella, Crescendo, what are you doing with yourself? Do you know I saw Bella on, I think it was the first or second cut. In Mexico? No, I saw it at uh, the Peyton's uh, place in L.A. Oh, 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 um, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, with the, family theater with Father Willie. Yes, and and you know who was it? Took me, me and Father Frank there was Steve Mancavini. Okay. Yeah. And I saw the movie for the very first time, and I gave them some recommendations about things I would change and edit. And they did. They, they took my recommendations. <laughs> well, they were, you know, they're um, very smart. And, and then the other recent, more recent movie, Roe v. Wade, right, that yes. uh, they did, I, was, I saw one of the early cuts of that. 
And I gave them also recommendations. And they listened to me. They did them. So it was good. Well, you know, you ask for notes. That's one of the things when I tripped into the film business that shocked me is they ask for notes. They, they really want people's opinion. Yeah. You know, yeah. they really do. It's I, Right. You know, I don't know about you, but when I'm like, hey, what do you think of my article? And my friends start critiquing it. I'm like, oh, they're so stupid. I'm not taking any of their advice. <laughs> <laughs> no, but when it comes to films, people can. Uh, well, yeah. Well, especially it, like the Roe v. Wade movie. Because I had intimate knowledge of the whole thing mm -hmm. and father pavone and i you know he's read the cases a gazillion times there was parts in that original cut of the movie it was confusing you didn't know what who, what justice was who and what they were saying so i told them you got to like put title bars at the underneath yeah you know this is justice so and so and or i said or do a voiceover with like the voice of uh you know like Dr. Nathans or someone, you know, one of the characters uh, is saying, oh, well, now, look, we just heard from so-and-so. Because then people, and you know how I knew people were confused. When I was at this screening, there was a woman sitting next to me who didn't know much about all this stuff, and she kept leaning over to me and going, so what's that now? And I was telling her. So I was being like the uh well, That's the problem when you know a subject so well. Yeah. You need people who... Right. Don't know because our brain fills in the missing pieces with right. what we already know. Exactly. And the audience isn't obsessed with abortion or the no. normal. So they didn't know that. So they don't know that. And so I was taking very careful notes to what, what she was confused about. So then later when I met with the uh, the filmmakers and I, I gave them they my were notes. Great. Those were great team behind. They're really great people. Yeah. Um, now, I want to ask you about politics. Can we shift gears real quick? Sure, politics. So you and Father Frank and, and, and Elvita and a few others were early adapters to Donald Trump. Right. I thought you all were nuts. <laughs> I thought you had lost your mind. Well, look, Jason. First of all, well, how I, did you know to trust this guy? Well, first of all, I'm from New York, so I know. You how don't to, say. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I've known the Trump family, meaning you know, in New York, they've been part of our lives for decades. That's what my wife says. No, honey, this is Trump. We know him since we grew up. She's a New Yorker. Yeah. So. So we knew him, and Trump was always a very truthful businessman. Okay, like he said what he said, and that was it. In other words, he didn't mince words. He didn't, you know, kind of go around the block three times. No, he looked you straight in the eye and told you this is how it's going to be. So when he was running and said, here's my list of, uh, I'm going to pick from this list. If I get an opportunity as president to appoint a Supreme Court justice, it's going to be from this list. Guess what? He kept his promise, didn't he, Jason? Yeah, so someone like me, I actually met him. Mm -hmm. uh, in 2011, I was invited to go meet with him when he was thinking of running for office, I guess, then. And I, I at the Palm, too. Yeah, wow, what a legend, epic. You know, the pro-life movement takes you to some strange places. So there I am at the Palm, too, meeting with, you know, Mr. Trump at the time. And there were, uh, there were like, maybe 20 or 30 people there. Mm -hmm. And I told him he'd never be president, and I would work against him every step of the way. Because he wasn't pro-life at the time. Well, and, he, and, he had a conversion. No, I know, but let me finish. Let me finish. Uh, so he ended up having a conversion a couple months later. Uh -huh. And I, didn't, I thought, oh, here we go, Mitt Romney. I've seen this before. But what you're saying is he, I, I made a mistake. Right. I was looking at him as a politician. You were looking at him as the New York businessman who said what he meant, meant what he said, and he was going right. to keep his word. And see, that's what he took to the presidency. He was a New York successful businessman. Yeah. So he, for the first time, we elected someone who wasn't a politician. He felt he didn't owe anybody anything. He he funded a lot of his own campaign, besides what people donated. You know, he, he put a lot of money into his own campaign. And so, therefore, when he got to the White House, he looked at it, he analyzed it like a businessman. You know, how is this running? What do you mean we're spending? He would look at the line items. What are we spending on that? What are we spending on this? No, 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 no. There's a better. You know what the thing that impressed me the most um, was right after he took office, of course, day one, he did the Mexico policy again, put it back in. But if you notice, he put it back in on steroids. He added more to it, right? He just didn't take the same old Mexican policy that Bush had put in and, and you know, Obama took He didn't took play out. the game. No. He said, oh, wait, how can we improve this even more? And he had his team tell him, and he added more stuff. Same day he went to the Pentagon. Right. He said, why is ISIS still a problem? Yeah. And we said, well, well, Mr. Well, President, well. here are the targets that we haven't been able to hit. Right. And um, he said, well, let me see those targets. And they're like, right. well, how many of these? He said, he says, give me a list of targets you want to hit. And he's like, well, hit them. Right. He's like, get the like, job done. They're like, w which ones? <laughs> he said, all of them. All of them. Get them done. And he ISIS in 72 days went from being a menace 
to being, you know, a few guys in a hole. Right. Yeah. Another example. Now they're a menace again, by the way. I know. Of course. Because, oh, let's not get into it. From how, Afghanistan Yeah, how we Syria, got out of Afghanistan. They're, they're a menace. But here's another example. I think this was about a few weeks or a month into his presidency. He's uh, doing a bill signing. I'm, I'm not a bill. An executive order. It was an executive order, and it was for the Alaskan pipeline, right? To create 5,000 jobs, right? And he's, he's glancing over, and he's about to grab his pen. He goes like this, beckons to one of his staffers, and he whispers to them, which we found out later what he asked. He asked, where are we getting the steel? And the, and the guy whispered in his ear and said, oh, I think from China. And he went, China. China. He said, no way. He takes his pen, and he now crosses out something, and he writes... Steel made in USA only, and then he signs the executive order. You see? That's, like, in other yeah. words, he's not going to leave any stone un, unturned. The other thing, as you know, he did. He secured the border. Look at the disgrace going on down there right now. You know, he started building the wall. He, he told uh, Mexico, no, you're going to keep the people in Mexico. They're not coming over here. They're going to stay in Mexico. Right? He did all these things. He stood up to North Korea. Remember when he took office? North Korea was a threat. Well, they backed down. They shut up. And look what's going on now, Jason, in no. our country, in the world. It's like we world. had a strict teacher, and now we've got uh, an absent-minded substitute, and the class has gone, the world's gone wild. Exactly. That's what's going on. So here's my theory on Trump and abortion. I don't, I don't think he had a pro-life conversion. Right. Okay. Okay. What's your theory? That he was always pro-life. That he was a businessman in New York who wanted to be left alone. So he said the pious thing. I'm pro-choice. And the reason I came to this conclusion is I was a little baffled mm -hmm. during the Trump administration when I had friends calling me from all over the administration telling me what they were up to. Like really aggressive stuff that right. the world will never see, you know, to kind right. of advance life. And I thought this isn't like what a politician would let his political appointees do if this was just, you know, an ornament on a tree for a, a campaigning. Right. If this, this seems awful sincere. And I went back and I just started watching all of his interviews on abortion going back to the 90s. And every time his like hands would come up and he'd go, I hate that word. I, I, I don't like abortion. Right. But then he would mouth the piety. Would almost be like he got smacked every time right. the word was mentioned. <laughs> well, look what, what he, do you think of that theory? Well, it could be it. But look what he did during uh, that last debate with Hillary Clinton. Unbelievable. If that doesn't, I mean, I want. I was jumping up and down in my living room. Tell everyone it. what he said. Well, he he said to her, "You're for pulling arms and legs off of babies and crushing their skulls. That's what abortion is, and I'm against it." That's what he said. That's what a pro-life person would say. Mitt yes. Romney would never say that. No, George W. Bush never said it. No, George W. Bush never got the word uh, 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 abortion out of his mouth. No, and he's why we have the morning after pill available over the counter. Exactly. So, you know, when people say to me, you know, what do you think of Pre President Trump? This is my response. I don't like his personality. I don't like watching his rallies. I think when he does all this clapping, ooh, 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 <laughs> like a seal, okay? I don't like it. I have no patience to watch it. He says the same things, all the bravado. But you know what I love, Jason? I love his policies. So to me, I'm, I will vote for him again if he runs in 2024, not because of his personality, not because of his tweets or anything else, but because of the policies that he puts into effect, which I know will save even more babies, and just it will get our country back on the right track. Where I live in, in uh, Florida, Jason, on Election Day, gas was $1.79 a, a gallon. Before I left on this trip, it was four oh five. Give me a break. Okay? That's all. There's, I don't believe you. That's the truth. <laughs> but the point, the point is, the bottom line is, we should not look at a candidate based on their No, I know this is where I commend you. I remember just being perplexed at you and Elvita and, and Father Frank. I remember Walter Hoy and I were at an event at the RNC just grimacing at all of you in the back, thinking you drank the Kool-Aid and lost your mind. Oh. But I really kind of credit, especially the three of you. I don't think it would have been a Trump presidency if not for the three of you. Because we as the pro-life movement, we can veto a nominee for the Republican Party. We can say, yeah, you're not going forward. You're not right. going to win. Ask Mitt Romney and John McCain. Well, I, I didn't support and, and, and Romney. If I didn't we don't buy him. you, even if we kind of say, okay, 
you're not going to win. Right. You are not going to win because we I, will depress I, the base. I, yeah. You will not get out your vote. You will not win. Right. I think that you giving your imprimatur, showing that you trusted him, right. made those of us who are like, I, I don't get it, but okay, we'll go along with this. Yeah. Because I knew all the difference in the world. He was an honest businessman, a smart businessman, and was pro-life. And he would take that. He would take that into the presidency. And that's exactly what he did, Jason. He did it. So I want to tell people, too, so they know, at Priest for Life, Father Frank and I were full throttle on for the midterm elections. We got a lot of work happening. They can go to ProLifeVote.com. Here we go again. How many websites? ProLifeVote.com. Sign up to be part of our election team. Right now we're doing monthly Zoom calls, but come September into the election, they'll be weekly. We have guests come on to help them do the ground game. You know about all about the ground game. You're on one of those. That's where it's at. Back yeah. in the day, that's my so, background. That's my roots. Is I grassroots. know. I know. I know. And so that's what we have to do, Jason. This midterm election is so important. It's important for the House, the Senate, but then now with the overruling a row, it's important in your state, state, house. state houses. It's important what judges you have at your local level. It's even important who you're putting on your school board because you got to keep out now. There are 500,000 elected offices in America. We need to be fighting for every single one of them. Every single one of them. Don't every let someone single. run. If someone's running for dog catcher, you ask them their position on abortion because they're not running for dog catcher to be dog catcher. That's no. their first step. That's it's step the first one. rung in a ladder. Look at Obama, so community organizer. When I was chairman of the college Republicans, I said to the pro-lifers in my college Republican group, we need to destroy the morale of every pro-abort Republican in our group, break their <laughs> hearts, break their morale, and make them limping away from our club so they never participate in politics again. Right. And so, yeah, no, no quarter. Nobody at any office, at any level, who's not 100% committed to protecting the child in the womb from the violence of abortion. All right, you, you got, we got to wrap this up for you. Anything yeah. else you want to um, say? No, just that, you know, don't sit back there complaining. You don't like this and you don't like that. You got to get in the game. No couch potatoes, okay? And like I said, there are some abortions only you can stop, some abortions only you can save. Go to abortionandteens.com, order a book today, and let's get out the vote for this election. ProLifeVote.com. You are good at this. Father Frank and I want to see you on the next Zoom call. Be there or be Get square. on that Zoom call. Okay, do you have my pillow at home? Yes, I do. What code did you use? Actually, what code did you use? Mike Lindell sent Father Frank and I some. Oh, that's how it goes. But that's a, okay. Gift. Look at Father Frank is sending gifts to Father. I mean, Mike Lindell sending gifts to Janet and Father Frank. You need to go to mypillow.com. <laughs> you need to go. Isn't it not the best pillow ever? Oh, it's cozy and comfy. People call it the magical pillow. Really? I don't know. If the, I don't oh. think it has any powers, but it's amazing. Go to mypillow.com. Use the code Jones. Epic Times. Right. Do you subscribe? I'm gonna now, Jason. Have you ever read Epic Times? Uh, a little bit here and there. Do you realize, and I'm not kidding you, and I challenge anyone to tell me a better newspaper ever than All Epoch All right, so how Times. do I get my free? Or you my go to iReadEpoch.com okay, I for read, a dollar. Okay. How do you say it in New York? Dollar? Dollar. For a dollar. For a dollar. For a dollar. <laughs> you go down to the Bodego uh-huh. and you bring your Epic Times, a dollar for the first month. Then you use Jason Jones, it's $77 for the year. Ah. Did that sound right? That's, uh, that's Did I sound like a New Yorker? Not yeah, at all. Well, not really. But <laughs> the real test is when you say the word coffee. 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 My coffee. team member over here, Marilis, says coffee, it. Coffee, right? It's, I love coffee. it. She's like, you want coffee? Coffee. That's how you do it. I'm going to master that coffee. All right. Coffee. Now, the ep Epic Times, is it online you're reading it? Or you yeah, real, so what or you I get, do, I'm so a, glad you asked that. Or do you get a real newspaper in the mail? So what I do, uh -huh. and I want you to do too. You go to iReadEpoch.com, you get the digital and the print subscription. I have the print subscription because I want my kids to read it. Well, By I the like way, it has a great... Because I'm yes. I still like to touch that paper. And then you give it to your neighbor, too. You clip yeah. it up like the old or days. Or you leave it on your coffee table coffee at home table. so when people come That's and visit you, they 100%. pick it up and read it. Marilis has been to my house. Aren't there there's like, there's like chronicles, first things, da-da-da-da-da. Right. Epoch Times laying right there. And then you get the digital subscription so you can share it with your coworkers, with your friends on social media. Um, so now I have to go to I read, read epoch.com epoch and the I code Jason Jones. I have to put both names, Jason and Jones. You both? have to do that. They didn't give me Jones like my pillow. I wanted Jones. Oh. I thought the fact that I got the my pillow code Jones. Yeah. It's pretty big. It's pretty big. It's big. Does that work for the slippers too? Slippers. Yeah. Yeah. 
mainland kind slippers, not Hawaiian style slippers. No, because I see him. On, I see Mike on the Fox commercials all the time talking about the slippers, the sheets, the pillows. He's got a full no. Line. By the way, I love it all, except for the bathrobe. But to be fair, I think bathrobes are weird. <laughs> you don't wear, use them. So if well. you don't think bathrobes are weird, you're going to love them. I'm sure their bathrobe's the best. But for right. me, you don't use them. When I know when my wife's like, let's go to the spa for a couple's massage, and I have to wear that bathrobe. You don't like. It. I feel like I belong on one of those websites, mm-hmm. like for being a creeper. Right. I just feel a little creepy in a bathrobe. Right. So but some of you like bathrobes. All right, I promise I will subscribe. I read epochtimes.com. <laughs> I read epoch.com. You promise? Promise. All right, on. Okay, when I get home tonight, I'll go on my laptop. You are not going to regret it. And they have an amazing magazine, too. That's okay. for another day. I'm on. I'm in. All right, Jenna. I got I to gotta say, say one more thing. And then okay. uh, I think we're going to a lunch. Yeah, they're waiting for me over there. What are you doing? Are you giving a talk? No, but I want to hear the other talks that are going to be there. I'm about to give a talk. All right. Well, That's then the only on. one you need to hear. <laughs> we have to wrap up then if you give All a right. talk. All right, Janet. Get over there. All right. That is the great Janet Morana. Her new book. Everything you need to know about abortion for teens, go to abortionandteens.com. Get a copy today. I'll personally autograph it for you. Whoa. Whoa. Thank you, Janet Morana. God bless. Thank God bless. You, Jason. It's great seeing you. All right, everybody. Oh, and this is, episode is also being brought to you by the Vulnerable People Project, standing in solidarity with the most vulnerable people in the world when it is most challenging, from the child in the womb to the children in Afghanistan, Ukraine. Right now, we're sheltering children in Afghanistan. We're sheltering children in Pakistan and Ukraine. By we, I mean our donors are doing that. So if you want to be a part of our team, go to thegreatcampaign.org and become a monthly donor. And you know that every month you are standing shoulder to shoulder with the most vulnerable people in the world. And our biggest donor in the world is from Syria. It's a gentleman that gives $2 a month. So if that's all you can do is match that $2 a month, I love it. When I go check out our system where we look at our donors coming in and I'd see that $2 a month coming from Syria because I emailed him and I asked him to cancel it. And he said, please give me the privilege of supporting you, even though it is a great sacrifice. So if you want to stand in solidarity with the vulnerable, go to thegreatcampaign.org, give your best one-time gift, become a monthly donor. Until next time, as we continue our 49 days in a row or so, because I'm traveling, it's going to be a little more than that. We're going to do 49 shows, probably about 60 days on every aspect of Roe and a few other shows thrown in between because there's a lot happening on Earth, on the planet Earth, um, that we want to talk about as well. So, until next time, by next time I mean tomorrow, it's the Jason Jones Show. This has been the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Oh, 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 oh